Gaming and BS episode 326 being recorded Monday, January 20, <laughs> being recorded Sunday, January 24th, 2021. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back to everybody. Glad you're all here. Sean, thank you for accommodating me on a schedule change, last minute-ish type of thing. You know, Brett, that's not a problem, buddy. You've been incredibly accommodating. You know... And you're the guy that does 90% of the setup work and everything, so whenever I ask you, I feel really guilty. <laughs> I'm like, uh... Never, never sure? feel guilty, Brett. Never feel guilty. Uh, so, how the hell have you been, man? I am okay. I uh, we were about to just talk about me streaming Saturday morning. I That's right. For, What'd you do? I streamed for about three and a half, four hours. It was uh, accompanied by some very good BSers, um, distinguished. Do you stream the game, or do you just stream you? Just me, out? just talking. I was gonna do some prep for my Star Wars game or ah. or my Forbidden Lands game, and um, so I I did a map that I have to get an order for Wednesday's Star Wars game. And then it turned into, hey, Sean, you know, uh, how is that thing working, Foundry? So I pulled up Foundry and showed somebody some some stuff. And then and then we got into GaryCon a little bit. Ah, yeah. <laughs> did you hear the Yeah, latest? I did. I, I was listening on uh, Voxer. And ah. uh, I'm like, man, hey, the poor little con that doesn't matter what they do, somebody's going to take whatever. I mean, every con has its problems. I ran a convention for three, four years, right? It's hard work. We fucked some stuff up. We made some mistakes. I screwed up dealer hall hours one year. I made mistakes. I had people mad at me. I had, I had horrible things happen on my very first con. It, you know, things happen. But man, so every con just can't seem to catch a break. It's like, okay, we got our shit together. Let's do this because we want to make a good environment. And somebody gets mad. <laughs> so. Apparent, apparently, what had occurred was that there was a email that was sent out after you buy your badge. Yes, I heard about it. So I got confused with the email that I got because they're like, hey, it was in an email. And I'm like, well, I'm on their email list. And it didn't say anything about this. And what it what it said was we want to set up a, you know, you go to our discord and then we are going to set up a time to talk to you via video and or voice. Um, and then show you around like the discord. We're going to be using it exclusively, blah, 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 blah. That sounds like a nice intro. Hey, if you had not used discord, this is how we're going to use discord. We will have a personal touch, walk you through it. That's what you're telling me. That's what I read. So apparently in the original, I don't know what the original verbiage was, but they had a bad actor last year. And so a lot of people took this email as a, they're screening people. This is their way of screening people that if it's not somebody that they want at the con that they're not, they're going to boot. So one person in particular threw a complete conniption and went on Facebook and said, this is a bunch of crap. And then a few other people chimed in and then it went from that to now it's, it's political. And then one person said, I can't, 
you know, what if I don't have great bandwidth? How can they expect me to do voice and video? That's wait, 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 stop, stop that last one. It's, it's an online convention. <laughs> and you got to join an online convention with shitty bandwidth. You can't do voice or video. Yeah. So Eric Tankar, Tankar's Tavern picked it up, and, and Eric's uh, not one to No, if not, he's got an opinion, he'll let you know. Not look into things. So he looked into that and started digging around. So the me- original message that was sent out was then changed and altered. And KC Rift, who is helping out Gary Khan, who I know, said, no, no, we changed the message. We just want to to show people like like how to get around and how things are going to work and stuff like that. You know, in a virtual con, that that sentiment makes sense to me because somebody goes, oh, I want to be in a virtual con my first year. And then they, I don't normally use Discord. Oh, if I go try this. And if they fumble fuck around, have no idea what they're doing. Frustration, rage, anger. This con sucks. It's not the con. You just didn't know how to do it. I could see that. That's a handy thing. So, but, but one of the things that kind of, you know, I didn't knock on them necessarily, but taking a, an online convention and mimicking the in person same, the same and making that the same doesn't work. Like, no, okay, like they're equating it to going to the check in at the real con and getting your badge. Although they're going to give you your badge when you buy it, and then you go there with it, and then they and show somebody you says, out. "Oh, this is where the bathrooms are. The dealer hall's right. there. Here's your map." It doesn't trans- any questions. No, doesn't, doesn't translate doesn't. No, to the virtual doesn't. world, and so I'm like, "Why?" So okay, aside from that, I'm sure they have the reason, and they want to make it a good experience and provide you good value. I'm sure is what their thing is, but people started losing their shit over it, and, and I'm still sure that the talk is is out there and. Um, you know, I, I don't know. So that, so we touched on that a little bit. I pulled up emails. I looked at their website. I'm like, I don't, what are they talking about? I don't see any email. Well, it was an email that was sent to, you know, did you buy a badge? It's the one that you get when you buy your badge. And I'm like, huh. I didn't. So that's probably why. And then, yeah. So whatever, you know, it's. It, Gary Khan can't win for losing, man. I mean, it doesn't matter what. It's, it's, it's I mean, always something. They're trying to fix it, trying to improve it. They're trying to maintain uh, a certain look, feel, and yeah. It, and with a con that's trying to maintain a look and feel in the age of everything kind of changing, shifting, they've got to do their own thing. How are they going to figure it out? And then change the online con. I mean, if you had an identity crisis before, you're trying to solidify an identity and not be tied to just one thing. You know, exp- you know whatever it is you're trying to do, uh, it's, it's tough. <laughs> I get it. I, I get I it. I moved. And I unpacked everything I own. <laughs> so yeah, that's what, what Brett did. Yeah, that's all I did. So that's all I, I did. Do not envy you in the least in that stuff. No, but I've, I mean, new office is bigger, and nicer, so it's got more cool stuff in it. Yeah, so it shelf. doesn't sound like shit, so that's good. I'm happy. Er, but I hurried up and hung shit on the walls, antlers, pictures, bookshelves, stuff. Yeah, emptied out because I'm like the shit echoes. <laughs> I was running. I was playing my buddy's. Sorry, I was playing in Alpha's uh, Undermount Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I said something. I was just like echo, echo, echo. Like ah, I can't record like this. Shot, I'll go crazy. Yeah, I'm glad you put some shit in your room. That's good. That's Doing fantastic. The best again. Yeah. Best again. Yeah, Brett's showing great promise. Got a decent background and yeah, not too bad. Got to get him some. I, light. Um, so let's see. Tuesday. The, this is surgery week for me. So Tuesday is hurry up the COVID test. And to do it the way in Wisconsin, the way that the UW system needs me to do it, be faster, believe it or not, if I drive to Madison, get a COVID test, and drive back home Tuesday. Wow. 
Fine, Jeez. because he, they can do a faster test. They'll get to the UW faster. Like, fine, fuck it, whatever. And then Friday, I think it's going to be like around 11 or noon. Susan will drive me down. She'll drop me off. They'll go get cut open, get my neck fused, and then back home on Saturday. So I'm hoping next Monday I'll be in okay shape. But I will talk to you beforehand, of course. So we shall see what happens. The next, uh, the following week, I have completely off. I've taken all just six days, right? All five, just to lay around, not do much. Which is one of the reasons why I'm really, really sore right now. Because it was lifting. <laughs> I'm like, in, uh, in about a week, I won't be able to lift more than 10 pounds or put my hands over my shoulders. So fuck it. Lift everything. <laughs> I lifted all the things. Carried everything I could, which is, may or may not have been a good idea. But <sighs> eh, the trials and tribulations of me, whatever. So I am uh, on the gaming front going to kick off Forbidden Lands. I've got four players ready to go on February 4th. You know, I found out Vecchione is a big from Misdirected Mark. 18 and such. sessions of Forbidden yeah, Lands. he's a big guy. Forbidden Lands guy. I got to hit him up. He's like, yeah, DM me. And I'm like, come on, I got to DM you about you Forbidden DM right Lands? You do. Yeah, right. do it, do it. All right. So I got to hit him up and, and give him some pointers. I hit up Twitter and the tweeters. Um, everybody has it and has read parts of it harrigan's run or played in a, a few sessions of it um i think wayne in the chat has has dabbled in it a little bit or reviewed it and, and well the nice so. thing is you're going in at new a lot of players are going in yeah. at new that you've got so a couple of hiccups here and there y'all come together y'all figure it out so that'll be fun if oh yeah. i did get to play another session of conan the 2d20 by modifius on friday after work that was kind of fun yeah, I, I played in Gabe's, uh, so I don't think we dropped an audio show since then. So I played in Gabe's, and that was fun. It was three of us, quaint, small, one shot, 2D20 grack pretty quickly by oh, all. Oh, yeah, it's not yeah. hard. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. Gabe. And uh, the, the momentum stuff in it and uh, the doom pieces and the fortune points, you know, chits and dice, things are flowing and flying. It was cool. It worked really well. It's a lot, a lot smoother than I thought. We've talked about this before. If you put a lot of gear on the table, I get, how fast is this going to move? But it was easy. Throwing pieces back and forth, moving around, worked really well. Really, really well. Gabe, I, I complimented Gabe on his, uh, you all, and I mentioned this, I mentioned you, Brett. Whenever somebody's running a game and they like the world or the author or the origins, you it comes through. The exuberance comes through Yes, in their, in their GMing. So I, th I thought Gabe did a, an outstanding job, and you can tell he's a fan of the Conan. I told them, um, I was talking to AJ and Alana the other day about DMing and just gaming stuff. We're BSing while we're hanging pictures and stuff. And AJ said he, he was thinking about building a campaign world. And I said, you know, one of the coolest pieces of advice I used to, I didn't, I didn't say it this concisely, but um, Matt has said this, uh, Colville, is that take the stuff you like and put it in there. Because if you like it, you're going to be super passionate about it. Exactly what you said. If you like that thing, put it in there because you're going to be jacked up about it. And it's absolutely going to come across. If you're running a game about something you don't give a fuck about, guess what's going to come across? That you don't give a fuck about this. <laughs> Everyone can tell. Everyone can absolutely tell that you're doing it for not the right reasons or whatever. So, <sighs> You know what? Enough of that shit. Anything new, interesting, announcement-wise? Anything cool? Mm, no. I don't think so. Played in Hobbs' little fantasy game today. You know, first return after a couple weeks of hiatus, so that was good. 
Oh, I should also just uh, publicly thank you again, Sean. Sean unloaded a shit ton of his first edition uh, AD&D stuff on me. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm like, I'll take it. And he's like, all right. So uh, I gave Sean a bunch of gaming BS uh, pint glasses. My wife was happened to be down there for one of AJ's last ortho appointments. And uh, she got home. She goes, holy shit, that was a lot of stuff. <laughs> These boxes are heavy. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said forty pounds. You were you were you underestimated, son. That's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, you know, I just uh, it's hard for yeah, me to you, gauge I mean, weight. Yeah, with your physique, I mean, <laughs> what's eighty pounds? What's that? I don't know. Forty, twenty, whatever. Just picked it up, threw it in there. Right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you again, dude. It's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah enjoy the shelf, man. the shelf off on my uh, my right hand side here is just AD and D stuff, and it's very full. Thanks to Sean. <laughs> I had a pretty good collection to begin with, but he really filled in the gaps. So, yeah. awesome. All right, let's get into Random Encounter. Yeah, man. let's move on, man. All let's right. Random Encounter. Act like we've got a show to do. Segment of the show to field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. I got a few voicemails this week. Uh, two, couple, not not few, two. That's all right. Lay it on me. I might have missed one, but if I if you have sent one in and we haven't, re- we haven't played it yet, don't worry about it. Uh, first one from Mr. Craig Shipman says, he says, Brett and Sean attached is an idea. Let me know if it piques your interest. If you want to see me running the game, here are some videos. We'll put that in the die roll. Uh, I'm excited to record with Brett for my podcast on February 9th. You guys rock. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Uh, Craig hit me up on it. I'm like, I think I can do the ninth. I won't be doing anything else. I should be healthy enough. These third floor, floor, third floor wars. I think he yeah. sometimes is in the chat. So. so, Craig, just as a quick side note, I'm expecting to be healthy enough to do this because it's a ways out after I get back. There's the potential that I'll be completely fucked up and not recovering well or just out of it. I will contact you and let you know as soon as humanly possible if something goes sideways. Anyway, Sean, carry on. Here we go from Craig. Howdy, Brett and Sean, and all of the BSers. It's Craig from the third floor here with an idea. Am I the only BSer that would love to hear and watch Brett and Sean learn to play an RPG? Every week, we listen to their opinions and thoughts about games and how to run them. We get their fantastic advice on how to learn and execute different game mechanics. I want to see Brett and Sean learn and actually play a game. And I bet I'm not alone. Here's my offer that you cannot refuse. Let me run you two and maybe one or two others through a session or two of Blades in the Dark by John Harper. I don't think either of you have played it before. So let's grab one or two of your buddies who haven't played it either. And let's play some sessions. Blades is perfect for one or two sessions. The mechanics are very unique, but you can learn them as we play. We could stream the session or sessions on your Twitch channel. Maybe after we're completely done, you guys could do a follow-up episode and talk about what it was like learning and playing the game. How was it playing versus running a game? What was it like learning a new game with new mechanics? You could talk through your thoughts on some of the unique mechanics of Blades in the Dark. You can refuse this offer, but if you do, I will keep on listening. I'll continue to be a patron. And I'll continue to tell everybody that they need to be listening to your podcast. So as you can see, I am terrible at making threats. Anyway, (laughs) keep up the good work, gents. You guys put in the hard work. Um, I know all of us BSers really appreciate it. And uh, if you like this idea, I'm happy to help. Take care. That's a hard one. 
That's a tough one to turn down, actually. It is a really tough one to turn down. So Frank House has talked to us. Eric Frank House, Iron GM uh, extraordinaire, and Eric Frank House Productions and such, friend of the show, friend of ours. Um, loves Blades in the Dark as well. He's brought up to me, and I said, oh, I don't know. He, he looked me in the eye last con. He goes, you, you dumb motherfucker. The reason you don't want to play is because you're still mad at John Harper for his Kickstarter. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> he called me. I mean, Frank House has known me long enough. He's like, ah, you fuck. That's why you're doing it. And he's right. I think... I have put that aside. I've heard and listened to enough really good things about Blades in the Dark that I think it would be interesting to learn how to play it. So, Sean, I think it might be worth our time when I chat with when I chat with him on the on his podcast and whatnot. I may bring him up, but uh, yeah, Craig, I'm thinking it might be it might be kind of cool, even if it's just a one shot. Sit down and go through it because, frankly, it's a it's a system that I am not overly familiar with. Insofar as I have not read the rules. I know it's got bits and pieces of systems I am casually familiar with, but I don't know it well. And uh, Sean, you've never played it, have you? I have not. So it'd be worth it, man. So, it could be fun. What the hell, right? I, hey, Craig, I'm in. Done. We're in. We're I'm in. in, Craig. I don't know about Brett. I am totally in. It's gotta like not be unhealthy or something. I'll be fine. We'll do it. Yeah, we're in it. We're in, Craig. We got it. Love it. We'll figure out a date after yeah. Brett's packed up and on your show. Pin him down on your show. Yeah, hold me down. Just make me squirm. I'll, I'll right. tell you. I won't, right. I, I'll be so drugged up and on pain. meds. like, yeah, it's your fucking Tuesday. This is great. I won't know the difference. Why not? Bleeds in the dark. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Greg. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's, too, uh, thank you for the offer, man. That's a very kind offer, yeah. actually, dude. Thank you very much. Uh, second one from Kyle. Cool. All right. Hey guys, it's Kyle down at NC. Uh, been listening to your podcast and I gotta congratulate you guys for, uh, unerringly seeming to know what's going on in my games and talking about, uh, hot button topics that I'm dealing with at any given time. Uh, what I'm, what I'm calling about is, uh, several episodes you guys have talked about, uh, Curse of Strahd and the mismatch between Dungeons and Dragons mechanics and style and running a horror game. And it also hits on something that you mentioned real quickly in uh, in this week's podcast, but then sort of dropped. Something that I think has a seismic impact on the way RPGs are done, are done today, but nobody seems to talk about it much. And that is uh, the death of the module and the death of the separated campaign setting. Um, you know, Ravenloft, yeah, it doesn't really match uh, D&D that much because D&D is not a horror game. However... Uh, back in the day, when Ravenloft uh, was created as a module, uh, and everybody loved it, and it was a big hit, I don't think, and I don't recollect, uh, that the reason it was so popular is because suddenly everybody wanted to turn Dungeons & Dragons into a horror setting. It was because it was a great palate cleanser. You know, you've been running around in dungeons, fighting evil wizards, and collecting whatever magical MacGuffin, and then suddenly you're fighting Dracula. Man, that's cool. Play a couple years of uh, dungeon crawling or fighting dragons, and suddenly, crap, I'm fighting Dracula. This is awesome. Uh, however, now that we don't really do modules anymore <laughs> in Dungeons & Dragons or in actually a lot of other role-playing games, if you want to uh, recreate, uh, if you're going to recreate Curse of Strahd, you have to package it uh, the way it's being marketed by Wizard of Coast, which means suddenly... Curse of Strahd is now a campaign setting. 
Now, if you want to get that sweet strut action, you've got to be running multiple sessions, a whole campaign to do it. And suddenly that palate cleanser becomes a game in and of itself uh, that doesn't match the mechanics you have. Um, you know, I would compare it to this. Uh, the Curse of Strahd in its original form, I see as analogous to Voyage to the Barrier Peace. Uh, it's putting Dungeons and Dragons in a completely different genre. Uh, how many of us would want to play a Barrier Peaks campaign? You know, several, even, you know, up to a year of game sessions, uh, of fighting robots with swords. Um, I think this kind of points to, points to a lot of shortcomings, uh, today. You know, for me, as somebody who does a lot of homebrew, um, you know, I would never consider jumping into Forgotten Realms or or Ravenloft or any of these places because, you know, nowadays if I wanted to even run my own my own adventures in something like, say, Forgotten Realms, uh, I would have to buy multiple $50 books to even get a partial view of what's around in that campaign setting. Uh, you know, whereas in the old days you bought a campaign box of the Forgotten Realms, and I still have parts of mine on the shelf, and although the understanding was that world was going to be developed, there are going to be adventures in it, uh, there was literally an entire world that had at least um, small summer summarizations of what was in different locations. Uh, today, we're five, six years deep into 5th edition Dungeons and & Dragons, and how much of the Forgotten Realms do we actually have to play around in? <laughs> um, so I think that's something that uh, doesn't get talked about enough, the idea of that we how how the detriments of combining adventures into the campaign materials and not separating them into smaller chunks. Uh, the financial as well as the gameplay style ramifications seem to be huge. So uh, once again, thanks a lot. And hey, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe lots of people would love to play an entire campaign uh, of Barrier Peaks. I mean, who am I to say? Thanks a lot for all you do. I'll keep listening. Hey, thanks, Kyle. That was awesome, Kyle. Thanks, man. And, you know, Sean and I have talked about this a little bit, is that, you know, looking at my box sets, um, yeah, you, you used to buy a campaign setting, which had just enough to get you started, right? Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, and even Second Edition had a Ravenloft box set. Ravenloft was its own setting. You bought the box set or the Dragonlance book or whatever it was for the setting, and it would give you like, hey, this is the flavor of D&D, Dark Sun, Birthright, whatever. It was D&D, Elquidim, um, Hollow World, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'll just show off my listing shit. Um, but each one of those box sets had like, hey, here's the subset. Here's the rules, right? Here's how you do something with it. Fuck, that's kind of what I did with Avalon, right? Like, hey, here's my setting and here's how you, here's how I tweaked very high level, tweak some 5e stuff so it works in my setting. Yeah, we don't have, right now, I can't, you could go out there and scour the interwebs and find the Forgotten Realms wiki, the fan fan wiki out there, whatever, and try to figure things out. But you cannot go by, um, I mean, there's Sword Coast and some of those things, but they don't have, to me, the same impacts feel that the original box sets did. I'm just saying box sets because that's how, back in the ancient days, us young, uh, us old men when we were younger and uh, old men and women used to get that stuff. We'd read through it and that's how we learned about these different settings, you know? So, and then adventures would be published to support the setting, right? There was a really cool, oh, there's this, there's this thing here. There's that thing there. Greyhawk has this big adventure in it. 
two mowers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think you're, you've got something there, Kyle, because I don't, somebody out there probably does want to play an entire campaign at Barrier Peaks. I don't, but somebody pro- probably does. Sean, what do you think about the setting mashed into a campaign type of thing? Yeah, I think Kyle brings up a, an interesting point that we haven't mentioned where these, they're not, some would argue what a module is. and But yeah, I, I think he's referring to the old 28 page or whatever thin modules that they used to yeah. sell. Yeah. And then plopping it in the campaign setting. Um, well, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden classic right now is that it's in the northern part of the Forgotten Realms. Right. I happen to know that part of the Forgotten Realms. It's like, ooh, that's cool. I know enough about that area. So as we mentioned earlier, um, with like the Conan setting, I'm interested in it so it will come through when I run it because I like this. Right. But if you're like, oh, wow, that sounds like a good adventure and you know nothing about the Forgotten Realms, the the names Luskin, Candlekeep, this, that, you're like, what the fuck is that? What is that? Does that matter? Do I care? You know? I think I bought the uh, 3.0 hardback book for, I think, half price books for like 15 bucks one year just to have it because I wanted to know about the Forgotten Realms. I didn't need to know necessarily the timeline. I just needed to know, you know, the stuff. Yeah, the race, all the fluff stuff, all the races and locations and, and maybe some of the factions. But I, I think I cracked it open for a hot minute. You know, I'm not a big Forgotten Realms guy, but... um yeah, it is It is interesting when you take, okay, you're going to run an adventure that becomes your campaign versus here's my campaign world and I'm just going to set these, keep on the borderlands in there. I'm going to village of Hamlet, the temple of elemental evil, plop them down, Pharaoh, Oasis of the White Palm and sprinkle them around. And maybe, and maybe kids today, different gamers or maybe the there's an approach today that nobody wants that or not enough people are willing to do that i don't know because uh i know setting information that that lore stuff we talked about dripping the lore out one of the things one of the reasons i bought Symbarum and i got into it just by reading the pieces and grabbed a couple free pdfs that they had bought it been paging through the pdfs as i wait for the shipment of my hardcovers um it's got some really cool lore. And it's baked in really well, I think, at all the right levels. So it'll be a lot of fun. But it's easy to read. It's fun to go through. And uh, I think this goes back to what you said. It really does to me. The the Conan D20 thing you said where Gabe, he likes it and he loves that setting. And you can tell. And that's where if you don't know the realms or Greyhawk or Dragonlance or whatever, and you pick up Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and you don't love it, Right. If you're like, well, it's just a it's just a setting somewhere on a world somewhere. It doesn't much matter really. And it, it almost feels disjointed in a way. You know, you might not get that passion pouring through. I don't know. And then to buy a Ravenloft book and say, okay, it's a campaign setting plus an earth shattering adventure. Yeah. That's a lot to pack into one product. And kid it do and kid it do both of them really well. Yeah, and if I ran if I ran I six and people were like, eh, you know, then it'd be done. Yep. You know, it might take a few sessions. It's not a, it's not a one shot, but it's a module. It's done. You guys get released from Barovia or whatever, and then you go on to Tomb of the Lizard King or whatever the next thing is. And he paid twenty bucks for like, wow, that one didn't work. 
You yeah. can chuck it. You're like, yeah. I paid sixty dollars for this damn thing. You fuckers are playing through, you know. It's a bit, bit, bit of a different investment. Huh. That's interesting, Kyle. I think that's gonna have to be a topic worthy of uh perhaps a bit more of a dive. So I'm gonna throw that one out into the hoppa, as it were. Cool. I will do that and Sean will I do that if you want to read Kojo's, we can keep rolling. I will, man. That was good, Kyle. Thank you, sir. DM Kojo on Plain Pretend. Brett and Sean, as I listened to you discuss the concept of Plain Pretend in RPGs, I found that definitely, uh, I definitely agree that when we were kids, there was less need for us to be prompted by the game mechanics to act out what was, what our characters did or said. I agree that many adult gamers or gamers new to the hobby can struggle with this. Your discussion made me realize that as an adult gamer, I've gravitated towards games that inside that include some mechanics that promote this kind of narrative pretend play. Although I'm not into the more free-form story games, I like when a simple game mechanic can drive the narrative at my table. One example of this is the Mighty Deed of Arms mechanic in Dungeon Crawl Classics. That's Brett. fun. That's a good that's a good bit. That's a good bit. Yeah. One ex- uh, the me- that mechanic encourages narrative slash pretend play by having the warrior or dwarf describe whatever cinematic melee action they want to attempt. They then they roll a D die with their attack die. If the D die comes up three or higher, their deed succeeds. The higher the roll, the more successful their action is, and the D die scales up with level progression. So higher level characters roll a larger D die. But the target is still and remains three plus. Another game that does this well is fantasy flight game Star Wars narrative dice system. The fact that players do not only achieve success uh, fa- or failures, but also narrative advantages or threats really pushes players to narratively describe additional elements of gameplay. Thus, more interactive pretending. I find that my games are so much better when the players and GM put some imaginative pretending into their play and definitely appreciate game systems that embed into their mechanics. Thanks, Adam Gojo. You know, Kojo, I think that there's some power with those with those mechanics that help to drive that sense of pretend, that helping you, that essentially force slash give permission, whatever phrasing, terming we need to have here, but something that encourages... And gives you something. If you say these, if you give a really cool description and tell me what it is you want to do, you get to roll this die. And if so, then your dwarf knocks the guy off his horse, just like you asked. Cool. Or hey, FFG Star Wars, you're done rolling. I learned that quick with Sean is like, this, you know, it ain't over, i.e. the die roll and that piece of whatever it is you're trying to do until the description is done. Until the fun pretend play description happens that piece of the action is not over. And that's kind of cool. That's very that's very neat. And Sean will call me out on this, which is right and right to do so. They're like, ah, I don't need that crap, blah, blah, blah. No, you do you need it? No, in the purest sense. You could do it with a game that doesn't have it. However, having those mechanics in there can really encourage people and give certain people license, which they may need, or an avenue to try something that they don't know how to do. Because if this is a muscle you haven't exercised in ages, decades, centuries, <laughs> it takes a bit to do, you know? It's it's not always easy. And having some of these tools like this helping you give you prompts, you know, like writer prompts and all that stuff, it's it's very it can be very, very helpful. So that's good stuff to point out, Kojo. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Kojo. All right. So 
Stefan Dragonspawn. Deploy the love. I, I mean, lore. Greetings, my sexy BSers. Still enjoying the podcast and wishing you another great year. Thank you, Stefan. By the way, dude, you are awesome. Just don't ever anybody tell you different, ever. This topic is very timely and apropos as I'm writing my own homebrew fantasy setting and I want to use the fantasy age system. You brought up and presented many valid ways to impart game, te- game details within the game. I've used a few of the same techniques, but I will admit that I haven't used the hired guide or sage approach in a long time. We'll have to bring this in, into play when I run my game. You boys mentioned that some systems allow players to add to the world or the scene. Fate is one, as well as Savage Worlds with its bennies, Star Wars and Genesis, Destiny and Story Points, respectively, which allows players to control the immediate environment or narrative. Expanding the use of those tokens slash points to allow players to add to the world can be a great way to inspire the GM if they haven't fleshed out a particular element of the setting. But I believe that allowing this should be used sparingly to avoid adding something that could contradict facts that the GM may have already written but hasn't shared yet. Such player input may be best used at a session zero when everyone is at the table discussing the upcoming campaign and agree that this is part of building the world. This may not be needed if your game is set in the published game world such as Eberron or Star Wars, but can certainly still be used as this is in your own game. This would not be an infraction, and thus the BS Gaming Police would not need to get involved. <laughs> Thank you for producing such quality content. Keep up the BS. Have a gay day. Stefan Dragonspawn. Stefan, that's, that's a good point. I think there we've talked about this a little bit over the last five, six years, Sean, where... You know, when players can interject and say, ooh, I want to change this in the world. I know the original Dresden role-playing game had a, you built the city together as the as the table. Microscope does that, where you build stuff together. Um, Araya, Catskill of the Monomyth, the ancient, massive, heavy, mechanical-laden game was very much similar. I used to have a copy of that. Anyway, there are different levels or degrees of involvement from the player to change, modify, muck up, you know, or impact the world design that some people don't like or some people do like or whatever. So I think if nothing else, he's dead on here. We're having the kind of what are the bumpers for that discussion in session zero or at least being willing to say, um, now that kind of actually breaks the that's too fantastic for Avalon. Let's let's scale it back to here. That would be more apropos. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. Then we'll, we'll groove on it type of thing. So, Sean, what are you thinking about that one? I like it. Yeah, no, it's definitely some good stuff from Stefan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, the hired guide or sage, um, I found that it's actually coming up more in my Greyhawk game, my first edition game, because I, I think it's because the my home group, is looking at saying, huh, you know what we used to do when we were kids? So they're kind of dredging back through memory of how we used to play the game. We should go find a sage. Greyhawk always had sages. We always had this in first edition AD&D. And for like, like they didn't, like they stopped existing for some reason. <laughs> it's in third and fourth and fifth. Right. But it just, it became kind of like this reminder to everybody to do the thing. And I think that almost leads to, I know old school was saying, hey, Brett, you know, remember, it's not just first edition that makes people be descriptive with their stuff. It's in other things, too. And I think for whatever reason, taking this step back, speaking of palate cleansers from above uh, about Ravenloft and such, it's just it's really kind of reinforcing a style of play. And uh, anyway, so so Stephanie, good stuff. It just got me thinking a lot there. I like it. This was this was good comments, man. Thank you. Matt H. Pre-written adventures. 
Hello again, Brett and Sean. After listening to you guys for a while now, it sounds to me like you both have your own preferences as far as running adventures of your own devising, aka homebrew, or running from pre-written adventures, uh, adventures goes. Forgive me if I'm mistaken, but it seems like Brett tends to run his own homebrewed adventure, adventures, while Sean likes to run something pre-made. Dead on. Uh, yeah. Hashtag nailed it. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on each approach, pros slash cons, why you might prefer one over the other, etc. As a newer GM, I started with the 5th edition D&D starter set adventure, Lost Mine of Fandelver, with my first group, uh, played for a couple of sessions before suffering some turnover and players caused me to switch to ta- making up my own adventures for a while. Uh, once I had a solid group that could meet regularly and reliably, I switched back to D&D's pre-made adventures, and we've played through Tyranny of Dragons, Tomb of Annihilation, and most recently, Dragon of Ice, Dragons of Ice Spire Peak. It could be because I was so new to the hobby when I was attempting to make my own adventures, but I frequently found myself feeling overwhelmed. I'd spend way more time coming up with concepts, working on balance, and wondering if it was going to be any good. With a pre-written adventure, I find myself way more at ease. I won't feel bad if things don't work out well, as I can just blame the adventure rather than myself, and all I need to do to prepare is read ahead a bit. However, I am starting to feel like I'm missing out on some aspects of the game by sticking to the script of a pre-made adventure. Character development feels practically non-existent, and it seems as though the players have little choice but to follow the path set out for them. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic, Hopefully, when this uh, all blows over, I can make it down to a con to be properly knighted by Brett and become a true DM. <laughs> Thanks again, Matt. Matt, we have talked about, and this is ages back, like, hey, the homebrew versus the whatever. However, what you're talking about here, I think, is an interesting take. And Sean, when I, when I listened to you read through this piece, this is like, hey, how do I start injecting some of myself into the pre-written adventure, right? And I think it would be unfair to characterize, I played with Sean for a number of years now off and on. I think it would be unfair to characterize Sean as like by the book script, bam, 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 bam. We jokingly give Sean Sean shit about being on the Sean train, right? We give him shit about that. However, I played with him plenty in that I know I'm on a a pre-written adventure, but there's plenty of Sean in there, right? There's different avenues, means, policies, devices, ways we get around different things. And Sean, I think you've developed a really good way to modify, change, delete as you go through some of that stuff. Even when you were uh, doing Ravenloft, we would talk about off the mic. She's like, hey, I want to do this thing. And you and I would banter back and forth in some cool ways. I think it would be definitely a topic is as people go through, like Matt, do some pre-written stuff for whatever um, game system you're using is how do you start to inject a bit of yourself? You're like, ooh, this is missing. How do I do this without completely, you know, feel like I'm breaking something or whatever? Do, does that make sense, Sean? Yeah. I mean, with Curse of Strahd, I was going to start leaning on people's backgrounds because I felt the same way as, as Matt does, right? Like, and I had two or three people of the group actually write up backgrounds and I was going to implement them into the campaign setting somehow if I could. And some would be easier than others. And then where would those go? Like tying NPCs to them somehow. And so I think you can still do it with a pre-published adventure. It just, 
the pre-published adventures, I think, Matt, you and I appreciate them for similar reasons, right? We read a bit forward, ahead. We don't have to do a shit ton of prep. We Creatively, my brain sometimes can't come up with stuff that I want to do that would be cool for whatever reason. I just, you know, I, I got to get the creative juices going. And some people are more creative juice heavy than probably Sean or, you know, I don't know about you, Matt. So the pre-pubs help in that regard. However, you know, with this Forbidden Lands game that's coming up, it's going to weigh heavily upon me coming up with different things that, I mean, I could run Raven's Raven's Claw, I think is Raven's Purge, Raven's Claw. It's one of the pre-pubs for, it's for Raven's, or it's for Forbidden Lands, but I don't want to use it. Because it's also a very different game. It's a, you know, you can use a lot of tables to create a lot of things. Raven's Perch. Thanks, Phil. It, you can use a lot of the tables to come up and create things. However, the tables are great if they, like, if you roll them up and it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. That'll, that'll work. But sometimes you'll roll on tables and go, what? That's nutty. And then you got to maybe tweak it or adjust it. So, um, and it's a hex crawl, so it's a little different where these guys are going to be dis- determining where they're going to go and what they're going to do, and you're going to give them legends um, and some lore to drive that. So if they're, you know, they're going to be driven by, you know, necessity. Like, I, are my armor's broken. We need to go to the next town and get it fixed. I need some water. We need some food. Oh, and by the way, there's a rumor or a legend of something that's off in the hills over in this direction towards the mountains. And if we go there, what will we find? And is it there? And can we, you know, plunder and pillage the, the, the tower that's there that is rumored to be abandoned. And so they'll go there and then it's going to be up to me to kind of put that in place. So I think for me, that is going to be once things start rolling, the, giving the players a lot of options or problems, they will act on those and then they'll tell me and then I can go ahead and, and make those things happen. Kind of a way, yeah. it's almost like reading ahead by getting them to telegraph what they want. So you be like, ah, you want to, oh yeah, you want to find a tomb of the lost king. Sounds good. Two hexes to the left. Yeah. You know, they come across an adventurer mm. in the wilderness. Do they befriend them? Do they get rid of them? Do they have a reason to befriend them? And once they befriend them, What's the what's that NPC story? So you write out as the NPC, like, hey, the NPC doesn't want to die. They doesn't want to fall at the the hands of these guys roaming around. So of course he's like, hey. But you know, is their motivation good or bad? And what secret are they hiding? And what can that NPC get the player characters to maybe do on their behalf? And I'm telling this as Phil sitting in our chat, gonna be in my game. But you take that and you're like, you might have a reason to go in a particular direction with that NPC. And then maybe you're like, eh, I'll change it based on what happens in that one session. And so I think I want to start doing more, or how should I say this? I want to do less pre-pubs because of the reasons you're talking about there. They don't get into the, the backgrounds of the characters, but some people argue that you don't. You get it through play. That's where it comes from. So what's interesting, though, is even if you're doing it through play, if that's a thing you and Matt are looking for, you can have stuff pop up through play. They're like, huh, 
boy, that shit would be neat if the Dragonborn or if the Yerzarian or the whomever had a chance to dig into that, but no one gives a shit because you're in Icewind Dale. Too bad. Right. There's, no ch- there's no chance for that in this adventure. So how would I modify this adventure to satisfy something that this player or this group of players or even a part of the group of players is very loudly telling me, boy, wouldn't this be cool? Or if you're missing something for your own satisfaction as Game Master. So, Matt, this is definitely a solid topic, man. So I've got that one pulled aside. I think there is there is a way we've talked about, hey, run the pre-pub, then you can graduate too. We've talked about practice and all sorts of things over the years. However... There is kind of very tactical stuff I think Sean and I can poke at a little bit around how do I start, graduate's too strong, but how do I take um, one method of using a pre-published style and slide over and start doing more homebrew, and is tweaking the pre-pub the gateway drug (laughs) to building your own setting, right? And some of it, we'll get into it when we talk about it, but there's a lot of, you know, You've done a bunch of it. You know what it's missing. How can I inject that? And wh- what's the best ways to do it? And so on. So, all right, Sean, we got a topic. It's in the hot Sweet. Sweet. Nothing else. If you guys stop writing into us, we won't have shit to talk about. So please keep <laughs> keep, keep commenting. <laughs> keep saying stuff. Feed, feeding, uh, feeding Brett's uh, yeah. agenda because he's in charge of that stuff at times. No, I, so. I like it, though. That That's, I think, Matt, what you're talking about, just to be really clear to you, you are absolutely not alone. No. Absolutely not alone. It's 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 very normal to get when you get into something, you start reading some prepubs, and especially if you're new to hobby, Matt's saying that he's newer in here, starting with five E and whatnot. You know, I have the luxury as the Sean of decades of resources to pull on through our brains that we've done or liked or didn't like, and so on. I mean, when you're coming at it new, it's, it can be incredibly daunting, absolutely. Which is why the prepubs are out there. But then once you not necessarily sick of them. How do you take the next step? So yeah, we'll talk it over. That's good stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Shall we? We shall. Let's get into random and or main no. topic. Main topic. Don't go backwards. All right, Brad. What are we talking about this week? So I want to break away from. A game-specific thing. We've talked about mechanics and stuff. I want to talk about genres. We've been mentioning a lot of, a lot about, hey, let's make smarter purchases. Sean bought Forbidden Lands because he's like, hey, this is different. It's doing a very specific thing for Sean. I grabbed some Barum because I did some research. I asked around, talked to Harrigan, a few other people I knew who had, who bumped into it or in other social media circles, got some good input, grabbed their free um Download PDF, read through. Okay, cool. I like this. I grok the rules, the setting, the system. Cool. Yeah, this sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> kind of trying to stop myself from like, oh, I'll spend a whole bunch of money. Oh, look, I've got another version of D&D on my shelf. Why did, why did I do that? What's, what's different about this than this one, you know? So in one of the pieces we talked about, when Sean and I started talking about this off the mics, is like genres, right? Sean likes spy stuff. And we started talking about, oh, he's got Cold Shadows, he's got Spy Craft, we've got Top Secret. We both said, and I think we could both say it here, like, if we were going to run a spy game, neither Sean nor I would go, let's play Top Secret. That's not really the spy game either of us want to play. You know, I'm not going to crack that one out. I have it, not going to do it. It's like just a nostalgia thing that it's there. It's just not, I don't like it. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't grab me. But if I was going to do it, I'm like, man, Cold Shadows. When Sean talked about that and I bought the book, uh, the PDF I read through, I'm like, huh, that seems pretty sexy. That seems pretty fucking cool. I could I could totally get in on that. 
And then there's genres that I just don't care about or I don't like. And I think some of looking at um, at my my (laughs) RPG purchasing habits and just games themselves, kind of in the introspection mode again here. But uh, let's talk about genres, concepts, and even subgenres, blah, blah, blah. So somebody out there is going to say, oh, it's not really a subgenre or genre criticism, or this is not the right terming. We're using genre here just to talk about concepts in overall. So when I say fantasy, obviously there's high fantasy, low fantasy, blah, 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 blah. If I said superhero, there's many variations. Cyberpunk, not always. Is it just one type of military game? You know, lots of different pieces in there. So, so Sean, is there a genre that comes to your mind that in your gaming collection that you don't have and you don't care about having? Like, hey, I don't have a game. I don't have a cyberpunk game, and I could give a shit if I ever do because I don't like it. Is there a genre, basically, that you don't have that you aren't looking for? Sean's country music. Sean's country music. Sean's country music of the RPG would be supers. Yeah, I don't have a superheroes game either, do I? I don't. I see... The appeal, I get it. I, yeah. I, pre, I have an appreciation of the Marvel Universe and the Dark Knight. I get it. It's cool stuff. Were you a Especially, comic book guy? I'm not. I, I'm not. I am not. No. I own comics. A very, I mean, I, even more than a handful. I mean, I've got a box full of them right behind me. Um but I didn't. I mean, people that are into comics are on a different level than like, I. So am. you're not the guy who's going to talk with me about the fact when Captain Marvel died in the Marvel Universe originally, she was actually a black woman, and so she, you, that's something you don't know about. Totally okay. lost yeah. on me. Like, yeah. So my friends and I, Lenny and I, sit around drinking. We'll talk comics. Oh boy! Like Moon Knight. Wow, man, he's a crazy motherfucker. And this, that, yeah. Moon Knight reminds me of. This person reminds me of that, and we'll just we'll hash back and forth. Oh, I remember the time when you know, Punisher shot the Hulk like in the eye. They had the uh, the bullet bouncing off. That's so cool. We'll talk about this stuff. And not, and he's one of my main gamers in my home group. Neither one of us give a shit about playing a superhero role playing game. Really, it, it's not like on our top list. I shouldn't say she, he ran one. He ran one a while back. It was really different ages ago. But it's not. It's nothing I, I care about, and I don't know why. Because I like comics, I like comic book movies, and all all that stuff. But I just there's something about playing in the superhero genre that just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, and I know there's multiple sub pieces of it. There's like four color, like Superman, Golden Age, big stuff, all the way down to like Daredevil, Punisher, Hell's Kitchen. You know, he, he, Batman is the weird character where he straddles all the lines. But there's you know Nightwing and all these other very gritty things the original tmnt well they have black and white by eastman lard that was some pretty brutal old school comics and stuff Eh, fun to read just nothing i want to nothing i want to run in so i don't have any look at my shelf nothing <laughs> a superhero game i mean i got curbs i could do it that's not my thing that would be the biggest probably chunk of rpgs not that there's tons of them out there oh crap like crap keep talking Oh, that hurt. <laughs> Holy Brett, shit, I'm old. Brett is, is ah. so old. How I'm old is he? Oh, wow. He's so old, he gets a leg cramp, cramp podcasting. Oh, my God. This is what happens when you lift heavy shit for like seven days in a row. God damn, that hurt. Anyway, ah. wow, that was a <laughs> total aside. This is why I don't like superhero games. I just can't relate. I'm breaking down, people. I'm falling apart. Fall apart, I am. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, so I, you know, with the mutants and masterminds, champions, villains of vigilantes, phaser rip. Yeah, I, I played just, a bunch of them, but just kind of meh. Yeah, I've I've played one or two at a con, you know, and they've been pretty fun. But uh, nothing. I would sh- play them at a con. I would totally yeah. play them at a con. Yeah, one shots would be pretty awesome. I don't have a problem putting on, you know, the. And I think, I mean, if I were to want to play in any superhero game it would probably be more of a the daredevil street level not you know i don't want to be thor yeah you don't have to go out there and be quasar dealing with epoch and the living tribunal and all that stuff it's just not your bag silver surfer's kind of cool but yeah too big too grand (laughs) i don't want to mess with galactus (laughs) (laughs) so there's a there's a system there's a genre i don't really have but i kind of hankering for I backed out of the uh, Twilight 2000, the redo by Free League, but I'm going to get out of it. Yeah, I did. I because I ended up uh, I need I bought a bow instead. And just anyway, <laughs> it was like hunting, gaming, <laughs> hunting, gaming. Ah, I need I need a bow, so I did that instead. Anyway, a, a pure military one like Twilight 2000 or White Box World War II White Box stuff. I do not have one, but I'll tell you that is a I've got. You know, the new world of darkness. I've got game systems that have components in it. Delta Green has some of it and so on. But it's always colored and tinged with something else. I kind of wonder if that would be fun. Part of me thinks it would be a blast. A military campaign? Yeah, just, you know, something like Twilight 2000. I don't think I'd want to do like an ultra realistic modern day fight the Taliban. I, it just doesn't tell me. It had to be something, I, I don't know, but just instead of superheroes, dark Nazis raising the dead, you know, Stalin's vampires, or it, I don't think I need that. You know, I, I'm wondering, can I, would I enjoy it? It feels like I, I would, but I don't know. I kind of, that, that's a genre I don't own, but I think I, I think I want. So I'm I started kind of poking around mm-hmm. the edges of like, okay, what's out there and what actually intrigues me? The only, I think I do have, I have the one that, um, you have the World War II white box one, don't you? I have the World War II one that, um, what's his name did. Oh my God. Was it Spawn? No. No. No, but Spawn did one. Okay. It's the, the one that, um, the guy who did, uh, Gangbusters. Oh, uh, Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt, yes, yes, thank you. So Mark gave me a copy of his version of World War Two, okay, um, which is based on like White Box, okay. I think, if I'm not mistaken, but um, it's very thin, very light. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I've been in the army. I don't. Eh. Do, do you all play army again? <laughs> you know, I got I got in on the Twilight 2000 re uh, kickoff. Uh, Kickstarter from Free League. I'm interested. And I never played the original. There's something about Twilight because it's not, it's modern-ish. Right. But it's like an alternate modern history or like something broke. <clears throat> and th- there's a cast event that isn't suddenly everyone's superhero, the undead have risen. We're transported to a new plane. No, it's this thing, right? Another one that actually intrigues me in that space, quasi similar is Dust. Which mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't know if Free League does that or if that was a modifious one, but that one is kind of interesting. And uh, Scythe, which is a 
I don't know if there's an RPG for Scythe, but I love the um, result. Jacob. Um, yeah, it's a board game, but the, mm-hmm. the artist, out of Poland, who does this, that stuff is just amazing. Hmm. But some of the alternate kind of historical stuff is interesting in the, the military campaign piece. But uh, I don't have it. And I'm interested in it. And I think that leads me to kind of the spy stuff. And that's where the only real... If someone were to say, hey, I really want to run a spy game, Brett, I'd be like, well, I have um, Nice Black Agents or Cold Shadows are the two in my collection that would come up to mind. Now, I have a ton of PDFs I've gotten in bundles and different things where I bought this, run on sale, or I grabbed it from this site or whatever. I've got stuff. <laughs> and um, I have a few myself. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I probably have more. I know that's where I have like PDFs of Top Secret and stuff. From ages back, and eh, I think I, I have co- I have covert ops, spycraft, spycraft D twenty, spycraft two point oh. Wow. 2.0. I, th- I think I've got white lies. Have you ever I've played those? I have played spycraft. Okay. Yeah, I've run and I've run spycraft, um, and I've played top secret. I've played top secret SI. Yep. But I haven't played covert ops. I haven't played white lies. White lies is based off like a white box, D and D kind of ish. But yeah, there's a and that, agents of oblivion of savage worlds, which mm-hmm. is an interesting one. But that whole military kind of chain of command stuff, right? Spot as a spy type of thing, you still have orders and groupings, and like, hey, you're here, and people give you a, uh, a an order, you've got to go do something, you know. So I think that'd be kind of interesting. I just don't have it. Um, cyberpunk. I don't. When I think cyberpunk, um, I really think I should love Shadowrun. Like, oh, it's fantasy plus. Then I don't. And I think every time I have played, the setting is interesting. The stuff I've read when I had the when I had the first and second edition, I love reading this stuff and so on. But I hated the mechanics of that game forever. I so mean, you would play a Shadowrun game with a different mechanic? I might. I don't know. Hmm. But it was it was interesting as hell, right? But I just, I never, ever and had a fun time with the mechanics. Ever. Mm. Like, I just played 5th or 6th edition not too long ago. Got a taste for it. Bleh. Still didn't like it. That's, again, Brett, just me talking. Right. Are, you a, are you a Shadowrun dude? I have played Shadowrun 5th edition okay. with my buddy Jimmy, who oh, is dude. a big, big Shadowrun guy. Yeah, if you want to play um, Shadowrun with a person at a con yeah. and you see Jimmy's running it, you play in Jimmy's game. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do you right. Yeah, and he runs some that uh, I don't know if he's running anything online virtual for some of the cons coming up. But uh, anyways, so he runs a good Shadowrun game. My understanding is fourth is is some of their personal favorites. Like okay. if you talk to a guy who's like I'm a big Shadowrun fan, and you go up to him and say, "Great, they have six the six editions. Which one's your favorite?" And they tell you, and they tell you why. It a good bet is that they kind of know what they're talking about yeah. and you know i think jimmy's i thought at one point was fourth they hmm. really liked fourth except for some of the matrix rules but uh yeah i, I was always on the fence with Shadowrun. i think i had Shadowrun as early as third edition never played it sat on my shelf looked cool read a little bit about it for some reason it i was just i don't know if i can get the fantasy tropes out of the cyberpunk piece you know i tell you man i had ages back god 20 25 years ago i had a copy cyberpunk 2020 and i i gave it away sold it. it's gone 
Yeah. I can't remember what its final destination was. But when it hurts everyone, Red was coming out. You and I talked about that. And uh, that sounds interesting because I like Snow Crash by uh, uh, Stefan. Oh, shit. Who the hell was that? Who wrote that Snow Crash? Someone will tell me. Anyway. Anyway, I like the Snow Crash book. And uh, I like uh, Alter Carbon and some of that stuff. It's And Alter Carbon might be a little not quite full cyberpunk because it's almost too was leaving and so on. Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson. There it is. Thank you. But anyway, I like it and I'm like, man, that seems and um Hydro Hackers by Phil. Phil Vecchio's call back to Phil on that one. That's it's not Dragons, Magic, Wizards, whatever. It is really cyberpunk. And the the punk aspect of it and the stuff that um the Pondsmith put together for the original Cyberpunk game, it's it's there. You feel like you feel like a punk rock dude <laughs> in those games. He's he's really dialed it in, and I think that that kind of pure cyberpunk. It feels like I don't want. I want to experience it as it is. I don't want to mix magic into it. I don't want to fold in another genre on that sucker. And I think that's where Shadowrun to me would have almost been. I mean, I know Earthdawn was like Shadowrun prehistory type of thing. Uh, but it almost like if they could have separated it in some way, I don't know. But it's like two great tastes that just aren't working for me. But I think a pure cyberpunk, man, that's where Cyberpunk Red is. I got to get through it and read it. Got a copy of it, uh, PDF. I got to go and get and get and get a look through it. But yeah, Blade, just, Blade Runner, man. Yeah. You know, the dark and, the, would, and kind of dystopian in, in to some degree, but everything's dark, rainy, neon lights. I have bounced off the Blade Runner movie so many times. I need to watch it again from the beginning. Just do it again. Anyway, but I think Cyberpunk is one of those that it doesn't get enough attention from me, and I think I would really dig it. So that's something that I think from a genre perspective. And I don't want to mix it with something else. I want to experience it as is. Um, Like the, the, big, the big son of a gun out there is fantasy, right? There's dark, there's high, there's low. I know what I like um, for my darker, grittier stuff. My Avalon world, that's you know where I'm at there. I know what I like for my first edition stuff. Overall, Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea, as we talked about. Um, Symbarum was very unique to me, and that's why it grabbed me. But I don't... There's a number of other games, fantasy stuff, that I've gone through at cons. I remember at... Um, Game, last time we were at GameOcon in person, a couple years back, and now already, which sucked. Um, but I remember going through, look, seeing this one book. It was about like witch hunting. I'm like, ooh, this looks interesting. Solomon Kane type of timeline. Ooh, this could be interesting. I paged through it. I'm like, huh, neat. Walked away, came back, thumbed through it again, listened to the sales pitch. I'm like, cool. And I walked away. I'm like, yeah, I just, no, I don't want it. My son, AJ, was with me. He goes, you don't want it? I said, no, I just, just no, nah, I don't know. It's just, it's not. It doesn't have enough of something to it. It just, nah, didn't do it for me. I think I have so much freaking fantasy, dude. It has to, there has to be something very specific. Like, like, um, Forbidden Lands did for you, I think, where it really fills, and that's like a niche within the niche for you almost, a genre baked, you know, sub, sub, sub genre of, I want a decent hex crawl, but I don't want it to feel like every other hex crawl, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah, I'm that, running. I might run it and go, ah, you yeah. know, what I it got, that too, God damn got it. too fiddly, you know, I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, Phil mentions Hyperborea, right? So you got, yep. you know, go into the Hyperborea space or, or 
you know, Ekadokin mentions he how he got into Shadowrun because of of the uh, because of the fantasy elements, and he couldn't grok the Cyber cyberpunk. Tw- cyberpunk 2020. But now with Red, he says he's he's it's clicking, right? Yeah. And and I think with Cyberpunk Red specifically, or a Cyberpunk game, I kind of talked to you about this a little bit, Brett. Shadowrun. I mean, a run is a particular thing. It's a mission. You're Mr. Johnson, and they're gonna. Yep. Or Mrs. Johnson is going to send you then on a run to do something, right? Yeah, exactly. And Jimmy has a good way of injecting some of the stuff that's not always mission stuff. And then in Cyberpunk, it can have that, but it's not the be-all, end-all. So there's a lot of different things that you can take with Cyberpunk Red specifically because the player character generation really, if you don't glean anything from that as a game master. Man, I tell you, it, it reminds me a lot, lot of... Uh, in a way, it harkens to Traveler for me, somewhere in the uh, in the character gen, pieces and parts of it. Yeah. But the other thing it reminds me of heavily is my my love of a city campaign, uh, my mm. World of Darkness stuff. You could make your vampires, your werewolves, your mages, whatever was in your World of Darkness city, Chicago, by night, whatever. And you were just characters out there, and there's other stuff happening and things going on, and you just dealt with what happened, right? And I do that in Avalon, where you have your characters are there, it's your neighborhood, or you're wandering through the city, something's happening, you either get embroiled in it, or you move past it, what's going on around you. It seems, it just, um, I I think it'll be more open. Shadowrun, and this is, uh, again, a Brett-specific thing, I think it comes to you, maybe to you too, Sean, but it's like, it feels like a one-trick pony to me, and that's really harsh to say. It feels like I'm stuck in a certain type of campaign, and I don't want that. And that's me. I'm positive somebody out there screaming at their mic right now and saying, no, you dumb son of a bitch. You can totally do blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm totally fine. But again, from a genre perspective, I don't want to mix it. I want to go pure cyberpunk. And I think part of it is because I could play futuristic city campaign. Sure. Without having to... Also mix in elves and dwarves and orcs and trolls and shit. Right. I, right. That would yeah. be the same with me. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there anything that there's um, that you wouldn't have liked before that's interesting to you now? I mean, um, like you know, say you, you will we'll see stuff out there and just different. Sometimes a campaign setting is what grabs me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where when we talked about lore before, Sambarum grabbed me because I love the lore. If I can get into this and I grok it. I really want to be able to, to show it how cool it is. Um, is there anything out there genre-wise or concepts that you're aching to find or that you've heard about? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily if I've got an itch for something. It's going to probably be something that comes up that I didn't think of that's like makes me curious or wants me to explore it. You know, I'm a big – I think – after 300 plus episodes, if the if folks don't know, I mean, my big ones are espionage, fantasy. I mean, I had cyberpunk, but I don't, I haven't played a lot of it. And you know, there's the um, well, Star so Wars too. You like the Star Wars, yeah. So, but I mean, I'm not a traveler guy, even though I think traveler is a very appealing game. It just allows you to do anything. And so I think with Traveler or something similar, Stars Without Number is similar. A little harder know, sci-fi. When I say harder, it doesn't have the, there's no, it doesn't have the the Star Trek feel or the Star Wars feel, kind of I've that. got Star Trek. But you know what I mean? It, it's, Traveler's a different sci-fi genre, right? If you take, I mean, fantasy has all dark light, blah, blah, blah. There's like sci-fi 
And then there's like space opera. Then there's hard sci-fi, harder sci-fi, transhuman sci-fi. There's I have a hard time envisioning a uniformly a uniform traveler game. Like I've played and I've played with Victor Raymond, who is a big traveler guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, I guess it doesn't matter, right? If if Brett is is G- DMing a fantasy first edition AD and D game, and he explains whatever it is, and I'm sitting at the table, and I'm thinking one thing, and the na- the player next to me is thinking the the other thing. I don't know in a traveler game if it is a very consistent experience, and I don't know why I do that. I don't know if that's just it's got to be my brain. Like why be- that bothers you? Like if I if I say orc to you and you think a three o orc, and I think a first edition pig faced orc, why do you care? Does it matter? I don't, I don't think the leap is that. I don't think the crevice is that wide. Where Traveler, you can do quite a lot of different things and it can, like, you can run a, you know, Firefly type-ish game. And that's so let me maybe- tell you, let, let me throw this at you. I think one of my issues with sci-fi that doesn't have a Star Trek level or Star Wars level lore or Firefly lore, right? So it's just a world, a setting that goes with the genre is that it doesn't have clear boundaries in a way. Mm. So, and by that, I mean, if I say, well, you don't have faster than light. Okay. But then I start talking about travel over a certain distance. Somebody will go, that's, that's physically impossible, dude. You just said there's no FTL. How the fuck do you get from here to here without, no, you can't, you can't get that far. You'll be dead. Oh, yeah, it's just take you too long. <laughs> yeah. It's just take you too long. You'll be dead before you get there. What, what are you <laughs> talking you about? 300 years to get do there. Do you use cryo? How do you do, you know, there are, when I've run sci-fi like that i have run into so many questions how does that work well i have a data pad is it like that or is it like a 3d hologram pad or i'm like what the fuck do you care why, why is that okay it's a hologram pad well you said before it went, it's like I, it get weird weird well, the questions tech, the stuff. tech level can get weird right you yeah gotta, that, that's where you're yeah. like oh this this oh it's this type of tech level and somebody is like an uber tech nerd and go well that means I have blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah, but not that. <laughs> you know? Well, like the Aliens RPG, I haven't seen that one yet. It's but very that, nice. But that has lore wrapped around it. It does. <clears throat> Into what is contained. And my core traveler book, I'd have to reread it. I've got the Mongoose Publishing one. It's a little more open-ended. And when it is open-ended, there's tech levels and stuff to, to work and GURPS would do this too with tech levels and stuff. It still can be tough. And but in fantasy, kind of anything goes in a way, right? Well, you know, in Mothership too. Like I, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't have a problem running or playing Mothership, and I don't know why. You know, it's not Traveler, but I think there's a premise of science fiction horror. So I think with some of these games, like specifically like Alien and Mothership, can you do what they're doing? Like the same thing in a traveler game. And the answer is, of course you can. You could, yes. The thing is, is that when I look at Mothership and I read it or Alien, I already automatically go to the things that tie into some of that stuff. So I automatically go to Mothership and go, oh, yeah, there's a scientist as a class, a Marine you know, there's well, it's, it's the, like Kojo's comment from earlier, right? It's like it, it's a mechanic, it's a setting, it's a whatever. It's all built in. I don't have to go through and do. I don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting with that one, 
Right. True. So I think it's just, I think it's when you mention a game, like Cold Shadows is another one, mm-hmm. right? So that's one I like. And I say, Cold Shadows, okay, it's an espionage game. Great. It's not Knights Black Agents. So it's Cold War-ish, right? You can run Cold War or something else. And then when you all of a sudden think about what that is, your brain goes into that space. Yes. It's like how, if I were to run Traveler, last anyway, last time I tried to run a sci-fi game for my group, it went pretty well. I went through, I was able to, I published a bunch of notes. It's like, this is how the tech works and this is the tech limitations and how, and then I said, hit me with questions. And I got, well, how do you do this? How does this work? How does this work? I was able to answer it within genre-ish enough stuff. I went, okay, I get it. So for whatever reason, in my experiences, sci-fi is hard to crack if it's a homebrew sci-fi. Um, it's not attached to any IP. Because if I'm making it up, there's levels of consistency that are tough. Which is which is because crazy. I, which is crazy because <laughs> Brett is the guy who makes all his fantasy shit up. Yeah, and for whatever reason, it's like anything goes in fantasy. But if I say something a little off in sci-fi, somebody will argue with me for an hour that, well, that's not really what happens when you inject a body into space. You know what really happens? Like, you shut the fuck up. Really? You know, it, anyway, it's just there's so, something so Brett about has it. no problem running a fantasy game that he just comes up and pulls out of his ass. But nobody argues with me there. I don't get the arguments of, well, that's not really how that works. Well, that's because none of us lived yeah. in that kind in a, of in a era. fantasy game. I don't live in a fantasy and, game. And none yeah. of us lived in like space. Nonetheless, there is a science. There is a there is a level of realism or re- real world that gets applied to some of those things. So the other thing is, I'm also not a sci-fi geek as much as I'm a fantasy geek. Fair. So I have been caught saying, "An explosion in space." You heard this. And someone goes, what? Fuck. No sound in space. Sorry, my bad. You saw this through the porthole, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just a thing. You know, I, I don't yeah. have, my brain isn't there. So it's like, eh, I hit a roadblock. I just hit these speed bumps with sci-fi. Which is why I think from a sci-fi perspective, I would like to get a hold of, I to get a copy of Mothership, definitely. But after you read through Alien, I might grab onto that one. Or maybe even the Warhammer 40K RPG. Because I like Warhammer, I like the 40k stuff, and it has clunk this thing that comes with it. This is how this works, right? It answers a lot of those things for me. I can make up shit within that all day long, right? But I have certain. It puts like these little soft bumpers around it, so I don't crack my head, <laughs> right? Yeah, it 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 does bring you in from way over here and puts you in a a box, even if it's got cushy walls so we both said superheroes from like a genre um concept setting just kind of meh maybe we play it as a as a one-off uh you know not a campaign or anything is there any genre game concept or something out there that it would uh how do i say this like a like kind of totally flip your perspective like let me let me think about this hex crawls in general don't interest me a lot for whatever reason, a hex crawl focus game. I'm like, eh. 
So I'm very interested to see what happens with Forbidden Lands because if that's its thing, I'm like, huh, okay, let's see how that goes, right? But having that being a main focus from a concept, it just doesn't seem that interesting to me. I don't know why, but I'm like, eh, I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't turn my crank type of thing. I am not wholly dissimilar, mm-hmm. but I think the box that the Forbidden Lands puts everything into is in, is interesting. And I do think that it'll go from a hex crawl to something more because I think there will be these bastions of, of people or, you know, that are communities that will come up and then they'll be good or bad. And some of the non-player characters will come out of that. And so it goes from a hex crawl to like, you travel, you travel, you travel some more to some, because I think that I, I agree with you, Brett. I am not a huge hex crawl guy as I know it to be outside of Forbidden Lands. Yeah, I, I find them to be very, and this is me. And I think, I don't know if this is you too, but I I don't get the role-playing fun out of them. I mean, I role-play with the players. Correct. Right? But I want to, as a player, I want to interact with NPCs and stuff. Right, right. And I, for whatever reason, I don't get that out of when I'm hex-crawling. Well, if you're not wholly dissimilar for me as you hex-crawl its wilderness or whatever the terrain type it is, plateau, yeah. plains, whatever. It's, and then it's like, oh, roll, oh, wandering monsters, kill monsters, keep going. Oh, more wandering right. monsters, kill monsters, keep going. Right. And so the level I find in that regard is pretty shallow. However, people love it and that's great. But I agree, Brad, I'm more, there has to be more with it. And I even with Tomb of Annihilation, or Tomb of Annihilation, it there is a bigger component that is a relatively uh, hex crawl, and some of the encounters that we had during that were some of the best ones. Oh, I okay, thought, cool, right? But you have to put the, you know, who is this person in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, put some effort what, into it. Why are they there? Make them interesting. Yeah, and then do they join? Do they not join? And if they join, what is like, is something going to turn? And yeah, then when no, it turns, dead, what yeah. happens, right? I, you know, this actually reminds me, and this is not, I'm not going to call anybody out because that's mean, but I had play, I had game masters and players over the years, ages back, especially my formative years as a, as a young little gamer. Um, I had a friend of mine uh, ran a Star Wars game, 66, ages back, like when it first came out type of thing. And he was fucking abysmal at it. He just murdered our characters. It was terrible. It was a horrible experience. I hated that game. The game's not bad. He made me hate it. Because the way he mm. ran it. Just despised it. <clears throat> Warhammer First Edition. I'm like, ooh, this sounds fun. It's going to be really cool. I bought the book. This would be great. And my friend is going to run it. He runs it. And he's just a dick. It's just miserable. Wow. I, and this is like, oh, I'm like, wow. He, okay. And I'm... I was young enough, I was, oh, that person is not game mastering the way I want, or, quote, unquote, a bad GM, not my style GM, whatever you want to put on it. I went, oh, that game sucks. I think that happens a lot. And the reason I can say, I think with some confidence, that superhero games are not my jam 
is I played them a number of times with a number of different game masters of varying different styles, techniques, and abilities. And I've went, okay, it's okay, but it's not something I'm going to add to my personal collection. It, generally speaking, the only times I've tried a military chain of command style game, someone else was running it, and it went horrible. It was just a bad experience. Like people were jerks to each other. There was a. It was just abusing the chain of command. I'm the captain. I order you do. You have to do. You have no choice. I roll this, and you have to fucking go do it. And it was just terrible. It was just a horrible experience. And I think I've learned enough now since back in the day to now. Is I'm like, look, it, that person who ran the game and made me not like blah blah blah, divorced myself from that person. In this case, this dude's approach to the military game. When no, the mechanics were sound. It was old Twilight 2000 original, ages back. I went, the mechanics were fun. The concept was fun. He was a dick. Aha. Okay. <laughs> Let's put that back on the old uh, concept genre thing of things I might be interested in. And don't just take it because somebody else. Because, man, I'll tell you, a bad, a bad group can take or a bad experience. Be a group, a game master, whatever it is. But a bad experience with a concept or genre can wreck stuff big time. It can really poison you against the game right does that make sense yeah absolutely have you had any genres or concepts that where that's happened to you where you went to sit down to play and it was just terrible no i don't think anything's been completely ruined oh you're lucky I, that i wouldn't <laughs> that i yeah that i wouldn't give another shot to like i played stars without numbers with crystal and those guys and i was like i wasn't jamming on it but that's i wouldn't throw it away necessarily i don't i mean it to me with any game, even even with hex crawls and traveler or stars without number or supers, I gotta have a hook and I gotta have somebody. If somebody's gonna run it for me, I have to. What is that? Like, okay, great, but why am I gonna get excited about it? Like, eh, you know, I don't know. Well, here's what I'm thinking: the premise is gonna be this, and you guys are gonna be street level thugs, guys, whatever. And this is what's gonna happen. So. You know, if you like Daredevil, you're going to like this. Or, you know, with Forbidden Lands being hex crawl, it's not... I've mentioned this during the stream on Saturday where it's not Swords and Wizardry or Labyrinth Lord or AD&D or Redbox where Brett's running any of those iterations and, oh, by the way, his campaign is a hex crawl. With Forbidden Lands, it is you guys... I mean, in the premise of the camp, of the whole setting sets things off relatively well because in a hex crawl normally it would be why are we going out and like wandering around i don't know yeah for king and country for this that or yeah maybe sure and that might be just enough to to go go off with forbidden lands there's the blood mist and it's been around for over 300 years and anybody that's ever tried they only travel out you know half a day's journey from their village because if they got to have time to come back because if they don't, something that kills them in the blood mist. Yeah, this could be terrible. Got it. The blood. So they, it, it's almost like being, I don't know, wrapped up in quarantine, but for 300 years. And now it's over? And now it is over. <laughs> now what do you do? Well, I'm going to go get pizza over there. <laughs> I'm going to give Brett and a few of my gamer buddies and we're going to go out and freaking wander around the world and see what's happened. In See, that's lifetime. interesting. I, th- I think what a piece you just said there is, I think, very critical for ho- hooking somebody into a new concept or genre that we're interested in. They want somebody else to play. 
is what will it be about Symbarum that I can get my my group or anyone I play with? What's the hook? Right? Why would you want to play this? Why would you play in Brett's Avalon game versus this Lankmark game versus this other D&D game? Why? What's interesting about it? Elevator pitch is so overused as a term, but there, it doesn't have to be a short comment, but it's like, what is it? Especially if it's a, a genre or something that doesn't interest me. I think through doing this show with you and from listening to all of our listeners and stuff over the years, I have a different vocabulary now. So someone would go, hey, we're going to run a super game. Okay, cool. Um, what's what's like the hook? What, what's the what's the cool thing about the super game? Why would I, you know, I'm going to ask those questions. I'm going to dig a little bit. If it's like, well, you're just going to make some supers uh, using this system and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Nah, not my jam. I don't want to do that. I want a more targeted feel. I want a little more direction at the beginning of, for some reason around that. Now, if I were to say, like I did to my guys, hey, we're going to play first edition AD&D in Greyhawk. You're in Oitmeat. Cool. Got it. Here's a character. Off we go. I've got shit going on. We all know enough about that. They were like, we're in. No one cares. No one's got it. That's that's fine. But if it's so, so new slash different, like for Cyberpunk, if I read through Cyberpunk Red and my crew and I are like, hey, you've been reading that. You talked about it. Do you want to run a game in it? Yeah. Well, what do you do in that game? That is a legit right. question you get. What do you yes. do in that game? Right. Right. When Vampire first came out, my friend was like, what do you do? Just suck people's blood and like, go to sleep all day? That sounds stupid. I'm like, okay, first off, that's not even close, and let me explain it to you. By the time you're done passionately explaining what it is, people want in, right? Right. But that's where, you know, Star Trek itself doesn't interest me, and I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I'm not a huge fan of I, I know enough of both IPs that I can get into it. But I will not own those games because I'm not a big enough nerd of either of those IPs to to really get into it. I know enough. I can hold my own. I can laugh at the proper nerd jokes. I'm cool. I can sit there. That's not my jam normally. So if someone says, hey, I'm going to run a Star Wars game. If Sean's running, I'll be fine. If my buddies are running, I'm good. I know you guys are good for it. That's fine. Hey, you know, Eileen wants to run a Star Wars game. I game with Eileen. She's awesome. That's great. She's going to run a good game. I'm fine. I'll be good. Right? But if I'm like going to a con, I'm not looking for the phase rip system. I'm not looking for the Marvel superheroes game. I'm just not looking for that stuff because it's nothing. Uh, meh, you know, I, I need more to really get me to want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think there's it's it's funny, too. I, I think how sometimes people will hate. I know I'll catch myself doing this. I hate supers games. Well, that's not true. <laughs> we'll see these grandiose things. No, it's not true. I don't like ungeneralized, and I think it's fair to say, like, I don't mind a fantasy game set in Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Avalon. Like, oh, make a person, and we'll f see what happens. Neat. I could do the same thing in um, in a cyberpunk game. I'm positive because the way I'm reading it, it reads a lot like a you know a street type of vampire game. Great, make a vampire. We'll just see what happens in the city. Go. I got a thousand ideas. I'm super passionate. Conan, I can do that too. Let's go. But some of these other ones I am not savvy enough with, like the Traveler sci-fi thing. I need more bumpers. That's where when you started talking Mothership, I really got more interested in it and the alien piece. Like, you know, I think I really, I need more lore. I need a, a real, some solid walls. I could do some cool shit within that box, but I need a box to start with. Yeah. You know, because I'm just not enough of a nerd and about some of that stuff. I just don't know it. 
I know enough. I know enough of it, but I don't know well enough to be able to do my thing, you know. So Yeah, there is a level of I would hate to say standardization, but there is, and then what you do with it is can vary. But I think Yeah. We could talk about this for quite a while and mix mash and all this. But it, if nothing else, I think we're done. We're good at this one. But I think yeah. it's, it's interesting. Let's if anybody out there, what do you? If uh, some of our listeners, if you guys, you men and women, take a look at this. You know, are there genres you can't stand? And take a moment. Well, think can't of, stand is one thing. Well, I'm just saying, if you don't like it, take right, a moment. Not. Take a moment. Think about what it is that you don't like. Is it because you had a bad experience? It's not fun for you. Why is it not fun? And, you know, it's not like you got to, that's not your homework, folks. You don't have to write me back a, you know, two-page essay. Sean wants you to, but I don't do. Um, but if there's something you like, you've had a hard time with, would be very interesting to hear about. Like, hey, I've I've struggled enjoying cyberpunk. I've struggled enjoying sci-fi games or whatever it is. If you've got some reasons or input or thoughts around it, I'd love to hear it. Because sometimes us, all of us in the community talking about why we like, don't like what we've struggled with. Helps us all, as I said earlier, we all get a better vocabulary about about all this stuff. And then we can, we all, I think we're just going to be better gamers for it. So anyway. Yes. You good there, Sean? We good? We are. And yes. Thank you. Let's move on then. Get into die roll. Die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery want to bring to your attention. Don't have a ton. I will put Craig, Craig's YouTube link in the die roll oh i should i should throw this out i just thought about this so a friend of ours dave Beatty. yes um dark trails is no longer dark trails he changed the name i heard yeah they changed the name had to legal battle he and cassium it was <sighs> he put it out to the backers um for a while there i was about i was moving i didn't have time i was gonna go Beatty on a side note dude you're taking real long time i don't mind you taking time with the game but what's going on it's just so long in between Legal stuff happening. I'm like, okay, cool. I got it. It sounds like decent discussion between he, Kassim, no, like, everybody hates each other and all that shit. Like, they're just talking about IP and so forth. So, Weird Frontiers. Um, gonna be the new thing. I think I- I'm still I'm still happy for Dave. I think it's going to be a cool Kickstarter when it, when I get all the rest of my goodies and stuff. And I'm super happy that I have some Dark Trail swag because now it's not a thing and I have it. <laughs> Like Dark oh, Trails yeah, T-shirt. That's collector's my, uh, item. My Cancuzzi. I think I got yeah. a sticker that's on my uh, whiskey flask. Oh yeah, got some collect- Dark Trails collector stuff. Didn't even think about that. But um, honestly, I think kudos to Dave. Frankly, because when we, it's very easy to bag on a Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. There's other people that have been late. Um, problems. I got pissed off at John Harper. Blah blah blah. I'm over that. That was ages ago. There's lots of times when Dave could have taken the opportunity to not tell anybody anything or just go completely silent, close the campaign, and walk away, right? I mean, all sorts of bad could have happened here. And this is most likely, I think, Sean, you and I know Dave well enough. This is not fun or easy for the guy to have to go through all this shit. And somebody so passionate about his own creation... I couldn't imagine what I would have to do. I mean, I lost my mind. Sean would have heard me screaming from my house to his house if this would have hit me. So kudos to Dave and his crew for getting it sorted out and slogging forward. I think that's great. It's 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 uh, it's good. It sucks. It took time and ate up energy and resources that could have been used getting me a kick-ass product. But, dude, 
good good stuff to keep your head up and uh keep going man thank you're doing fine the other one that i want to bring up is uh michael o'holland's 5e mini dungeon a dreams maze we'll have a link to to michael's stuff in the uh he posted it I don't know what he mentioned. I think he dropped me a message on Discord or something. And then I'm like, hey, man, you gotta, or where to post it? I'm like, post it on Discord. He did. And then I'm like, man, make sure you put it in the forums. Like, but we want to, you know, people sometimes get a little, I don't know, we're, you know, I don't want to promote my stuff. Oh, dude, you got to promote like, your yeah, shit. Yeah, do it. Put it out there. I, I am equally guilty. Yeah. Sean wanted to talk to me about Avalon. I'm like, ah, don't it bother me about it. I don't mean to be. And Sean's like, you dick, you wrote a book. You have to tell people about your book. That's how this works. Fine, you're right. So, no, if if anybody, if any of our listeners, if you build something, you've got a cool RPG product that's within that wheelhouse. Now, granted, if you're also really good at building model rockets or stuff that has nothing to do with the RPG space, we might look at you in the forums and say, sorry, no. But frankly, if you've made a really cool RPG product, it's your first one. It's your 80th one. You're like, hey, it's here. Fucking put it out there, folks, because this community is very welcoming, and I want to see it. This is awesome, awesome creative stuff coming out every day. And if you've got something cool, share it. We want to see it. Yeah, it's now available for Fantasy Grounds. It's an accomplished wizard with an embarrassing problem. He has a reputation for training the greatest magic users and the tests he develops for his students enjoy almost the same renown as his incredible exploits. The most famous test is Hadream's, Hadream's Maze, though which, through which apprentices, mu- apprentices must navigate to three shrines to procure three gifts before exiting. The task sounds simple, but few pass on their first attempt. Cool. So check it out. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about next week, Brett? So assuming I'm able to be upright and talk to you, I'd really like to talk about injecting the homebrew thing that Matt talked about. So that's what that's my goal. Whoa. I think we throw that one in there because that one is uh I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good a lot of good pieces and parts we could bang through there. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. And if I can't make it, we'll do that next time. So Fair man, fair. Yeah. All right. Well we May I may be solo next week. We'll see how it condition Brett's in, mm-hmm. and I'll let everybody know. Otherwise, you could find us here on typically Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time U.S. I stream on Saturday mornings, Saturdays with Sean, like around 8.30 Central Time, just kind of prepping what I'm doing, whatever comes to mind, some decent interaction with some other fellow BSers. And, of course, you're going to find this episode at your favorite podcatcher of choice. So for... Everybody that joined us this evening, thank you so much. Absolutely. And for everybody that's listening to us, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So for Gaming and BS, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS is produced with help from the following BSers. Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Roger Brasslett, Chris Steele, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhouse, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Tasaka, Pierre Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old Schoozer Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Mark Richmond, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Eric Avia, Andy Olson, John Keyword, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Kalakago, 
Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb, Wendell Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, The Duke in Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Vanta Blacklord, Larry Howes, Quigley Malcolm, Awal Trooper, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcus, Chris Shorb, Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Tendrils, Christopher Lang, Chad Gleeman, Josh Wallace, Adam Grotejohn, Ed Nyes, Corey Welch, Marco Froelich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Raylia. Hey, for ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.